0: Hello and welcome to the Bird Boys Poultry Podcast with me, Jed Dwight. And me, Ollie Woodall. Uh, the place that you can hear all about chicken, chat and poultry ramblings and hopefully learn something along the way. Uh, so first up, Ollie, what have you been up to that's been kind of poultry related over the past couple of weeks? Um, nothing massive myself,
1: just sort of been uh, keeping myself... Uh, in the fancy if you like with what's going on on Facebook um and uh, obviously as a lot of you may know that unfortunately uh Jamie Robinson has recently um had a dispersal sale of his um uh, gold seabrights that he's uh, very well known for um which I think is a huge loss to the 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 club the fancy the breed um but hopefully a massive gain for other uh, Seabright enthusiasts that hopefully having gained the uh these birds from him which are you know uh, a great bloodline will hopefully help them get um get far uh with the breed um and encourage them to uh get along to more shows and support the breed um and apart from that, um, it's really nice to see now people posting on Facebook that they're they're just starting to get their first batches of chicks through, which is really encouraging to see after the last few years when nothing's really been happening in the fancy. A lot of people have been um, you know, I suppose quite low really, because there's just been no really no real reason to want to hatch any great number of chicks. Mm. This year's the first year where I think people are really starting to um feel that engagement now back with their clubs and their breeds to to want to get the numbers out that they might have once done before um so hopefully that means that our national at the end of this year is going to have a great entry with uh, lots of lovely good quality birds how about yourself what have you been up to
0: yeah Uh, so have you had shown chicks yourself yet ollie i haven't actually i'm really really far behind i've not even put my breeding pens together outrageous other than the norfolk
1: greys as you spoke about companies. yeah yeah they are they're, they're actually the only uh oh and uh the orpingtons they're in breeding pens but nothing else they're
0: they're waiting on my return need to get to it no i thought it was i like like you i was really sad to see jamie robinson um so that he was going out of it hopefully he'll come back uh, in future years, and again, hopefully, his birds will go into good hands because there aren't actually that many breeders of of seabrights overall, but um, including the golds, and he had yeah, you know, yeah. some of the best. So, yeah, I think um, unfortunately,
1: a lot like many true bantams, the seabrights um, really do suffer with uh, an issue with numbers. There just aren't many uh, breeders. Out there that show them, unfortunately. So I, I do really hope that whoever has been lucky enough to end up with his birds will really actually do something with them and then not end up wasting them, um, which is something that is quite often
0: seen, unfortunately. Yeah, true. And you said you're going to enter the national show this year. That'll be your first. Yes, I'm hoping to. Myself and a friend on the
1: island, Ben, um, we're really Pushing this year to get to National. Having said that, my breeding pens aren't together. So uh, okay. we shall see. Um, but no, I think it'd be really nice. And do you know what? Even if I don't end up bringing any birds, um, yeah. it will still be lovely just to come along and um, be involved in the the whole uh, show and, you know, everything that's going on.
0: I'm sure there'll be plenty of National Show virgins like yourself uh, take sure. it up for the for the first time so that's really exciting. um my end i and i suppose i did say in in the last episode i i kind of touch on uh, fancy foul and and what we've done uh with the magazine this month and we've actually got um a really bumper uh, issue so obviously fancy foul is is a poultry magazine that's wholly online now and uh so very easily available to uh anyone listening wherever you are uh, in the world. um I'm pretty sure, in fact, uh, I need to put a link, but I'm pretty sure my boss, Greg, has got a link for anyone who's listening, who isn't a uh, subscriber already, who can subscribe to Fancy Fowl and get a little bit off. So I will, um, I'll pop that onto our Facebook page. Um, But yeah, so we've got, I think it's like close to 60 pages of content um, uh, for the March issue of of Fancy Fowl. Um, We've got an interview with Johnny Hausner, who is a Poland breeder over in the USA. I met while I was over there, but I'd already seen him uh, on Instagram. I think we've spoken about him on here before. Um, He's got the front cover bird this time, which is a lovely white crested black Poland bantam female. Looks great on the front cover. And he talks a bit about um, not only the poultry hobby over there, but he's very big into rabbit showing and judging, too. He's he's a pretty high-profile rabbit judge over in the States, and he was saying how that's almost become a bit of a job, like um, on top of his day job as a teacher, going to rabbit shows across the States, um, whereas the poultry for him is very much still a hobby, um, and he tries to keep it that way. He doesn't do loads and loads of poultry shows, Um, He just makes sure he enjoys the ones he he does manage to get to. um, Kind of a bit less pressure, um, hasn't yet done any judging or anything like that. So that was a really interesting take um, from Johnny. Um, We also speak to someone called Dave Johnson uh, from Cumbria. Uh, So Dave, uh, I knew him because he breeds white cool ducks and he breeds some really nice ones. I'd met him up at the Carlisle. A poultry auction when that was happening um quite a few times uh and he's won quite a lot with his uh calls before but um he also has large well summers which i think i've mentioned for my granddad used to have um when when he was around and he had chickens so we have a, a lovely interview with dave and one of the points that he makes is for him it's really important that birds have a lot of space, so he lets his birds free range, um, both the cool ducks and the well summers. And he feels he gets a lot more out of the birds by providing that kind of more natural environment, compared particularly with the cool ducks, kind of having the up, them up in um, raised pens. Uh, he thinks doesn't necessarily. Uh, do them the same amount of good so so that's really interesting um chat to a young fancy called dylan from australia uh he's done really well at, at some shows over there including the royal adelaide show and um, where he picked up champion and reserve champion junior in that show i fairly new to it but absolutely loving it and looking to get more involved so that was a really nice interview and we're going to chat a bit more about um, junior fanciers, junior handler classes, and, and stuff like that, a bit later in the podcast. So that's a good interview. I've got a big gallery of Belgian bantams. Thank you to Matthew Luriden, uh over on the continent um, in Europe, and uh, we're going to chat a bit more. That's going to be our focus that we're going to talk about today. Uh, is flicking through some photos of Belgian bantams. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, we have the VPS. Uh, The Virtual Poultry Show, Best of Breed Gallery. So all of the Best of Breed winners uh, are included in a gallery in this month's issue. And then next month, we're going to look at the championship winners from that show. Um, And Ian Allenby, who was championship judge, is going to kind of do a bit of a a written report on that. So that should be really good. And then Grant Brayton does uh, a piece on blue partridge and penciled wine dots there aren't that many around obviously you have the variation of uh you have the um cock breeding line and there really aren't very many of those and they are incredibly beautiful actually you don't see that many but when you do see them they are stunning Uh, there's one picture in particular of a a cock breeding line blue partridge um cockerel and you know he he just is such a pretty color um Uh, and so yeah, so he's trying to promote those and then we obviously have a a load of show results too so um yeah it's been it's actually been kind of uplifting to have put that together um seeing shows coming back seeing some really lovely winners at some of those shows seeing the recognizable names coming back but also some new names as well of of new people that are coming in and starting for the first time uh, which i think is really nice Um, And then other than that, like you, it's been really good to see people actively putting breeding pens together, uh, getting chicks out early, um, uh, recognising that the winter shows in Ashland and the Fed are that bit earlier this year. Um, And, uh, yeah, really kind of preparing for that, which I think is quite exciting. I think I saw for the Federation show in September at Stafford, there's going to be some kind of um, cattle uh, event uh, alongside it at the showground which looks pretty cool um, which is great because otherwise other than that you are just at a showground so it's nice that there's something else going on at the same time and I always think you know we're obviously showing breeding judging talking about poultry but a lot of us will have interest in lots of different breeds and and um, uh, different animals so so that's good um, cool. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to chat about, Ollie, before we kind of move on to the uh, to the Belgian gallery that we're going to look through?
1: Um, no, I think we'll move on. I'm quite excited to uh, go through the, the Belgians. Are you? Let's
0: yeah. see. Right. Let's share my screen. Uh, mm, uh, Oh, I can't see it. Let's have a look. Got so many things open. Uh, see what I'll do. three. Let's do that. There we go. Right. Uh. Sorry, this is the joy of technology. Just making sure I get it right. Here we go, right. Okey-doke. So, mm. uh, so like I said, I think um, Belgians obviously come in uh, lots of different varieties. So you've got the uh, the Diamvers, you've got the watermelons, and then you've got the Diocles. Uh, different pronunciations depending on whereabouts in the world you are for each of those. And then you have the Everbergs, which are rumpless Diocles. You've got the De Grubes, which are the rumpless Diambers. And then you've got the De Boitsfords, which are the rumpless watermelons. So, in theory, you've got six different varieties under one breed umbrella. And then they come in a whole range of colours as well. So if you're looking at a breed that has a lot of variation, um uh, and they're quite easy to keep, they'll see very small, smaller than the size of a pigeon. Um, then the Belgian is a really good one to go for. I think I spoke on it here before about um, a Belgian cockerel chasing Elliot uh, down the garden path once. Um, They have lots of character, uh, but they can also be really docile, particularly in the diakles, actually. Often Mm. you can have like a few cockerels in with a group of hens and you don't get any issues, um, unlike you would get with some other breeds. Anyway, so here we've got a what's called a silver quail uh, de watermel female. So you can see uh, again for, for anyone who's listening for the first time, we'll upload this onto Facebook so that you can see what we're talking about um, after listening to to the podcast here too. Um, so this is a silver quail dwarf female. You can see that she's got a small crest on her head that shouldn't be overly large. It shouldn't be obstructing the eyes in any way. We're not looking for that Poland. Light like crest. Um, it should be small and petite, and like I say, not covering the eyes. The watermelons are a more slender, petite bird than the dambers or the diacals. And so they're a bit longer in the back. The tail carriage isn't so high. They're not as short uh, and cobby in the body. Um, and that's very much what you're looking for. This, to me, is a really good example of the type of that you're looking for in a watermel. Um, she's also a really good colour for a silver quail. The only thing I'd be looking for is a little bit more ball, which mm. is when the feathers in the neck go backwards and form the shape of a ball, mm. and you'll see in some of the others that uh, a bit better. Um, and also a bit more of a tribeard, could have a bit more beard too. The watermelts tend to be a, a bit more restricted in that area. But you'll see again yeah. in some of the others we look at. The the beard is is kind of a key part of a, a Belgian bantam. What do you think of her, Ollie?
1: Um no, I, I really like her. And like you say, I think she's um splendid colour on her, um, beautifully marked, very clean. But yeah, like you say, she does lack that ball. Um uh which, you know, I I, I suppose they get that ball from the ruffles, don't they, that creates in their feathers that almost gives them the uh the volume for the yeah. feathers to create that shape and she's just not got that unfortunately yeah uh, but yeah i totally agree with what you say with um beards aren't necessarily always in abundance um on the dewatermill like they are on the uh deanvers for instance yeah um otherwise yeah i think she's a, a
0: very lovely bird yeah, she is. So this is a bird from uh, Europe. Like I said, the the photo by Matthew. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Oh. So we've got a head study. So this was, I think this was on a, a degree actually, um, a blue quail male. But I thought it just shows a really very tidy rose comb, um, mm. you know, well fitted to the front of the head, follows the line of the head nicely, um, you've uh, again. You could ask for a bit more beard. Yeah. Um, try beard, but but he's by no means uh, bad in that way. I remember when I started with Belgians when I was younger, and some of them had quite big wattles coming down and all sorts of things. <laughs> um, you don't see that anymore. I think Belgians have moved on uh, in a big way since then. Um, and I'm I'm quite particular about the heads on. Birds, I'm, you know, the comb to me is one of the first things that you see. Yeah. If a bird's got a bad comb, whether that's a rose comb or a single comb or a pea comb or whatever, if it's not as it should be, got bad serrations or the leaders pointing upwards at the back or whatever it might be, it kind of puts you off the whole bed then. And while it's only a certain number of points, I think it really makes up to the general. Yeah. Characterization of that bird. So um so yeah, but I thought that was a a decent example of a of a Belgian head on a on a rose comb. Uh right, okay. So we've got a degree black degree female here. To me, that is literally the silhouette that you would be looking for. Yep. Um I mean I think she just oozes style. You know, she's short, she's got great wing carriage. They always say a Belgian should look uh, like it's, uh, particularly with the cockerels, but really with the females as well, always ready to crow, which is why the head is held further back than the chest. You have that big pigeon-like chest coming out. Um, the, my criticism of her would be that she's very pale in the face and that her comb is, you know barely in existence really um whether that's because she's a young pullet and you know that will come with time i don't know if uh, she's got that ball you can see those feathers kind of gliding around the back here um uh looks like she could potentially do with a bit more beard coming out she's got great whiskers to the side but she yeah. could probably do with a fuller beard coming out front um but type-wise. Like I said, that is the silhouette that I think you should be looking for in a in a degree female. Anything to add? Sorry, um, <laughs> no, but, um She's
1: turned out to perfection. I mean, quite often you will see a uh, a blackbird at a show that um, lacks that luster in the show pen. It's sort of that little final thing that you want, or maybe a bird that you're potentially looking at as being a winner. And she's just got sheen to perfection um which is something that just really looks great on a on a black bird um but yeah like you said um unfortunately she is let down by how pale her face is which really does something a bit more noticeable on a blackbird because you've got such a stark contrast
0: mm-hmm. uh, and it's a common thing as well with belgians particularly with blacks for some reason as they don't have the lovely red faces no, um, and if you're not careful, actually, with black uh, blackbirds of any kind, you can end up with mulberry faces, which you don't want. You know, you want that bright red comb and bright red face. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's probably a breeding issue as much as anything else. Yeah, because if if I would have thought if it was a fitness issue, she
1: potentially wouldn't have that um, gorgeous sheen to her yeah. feathers. Um. So uh, yeah, I'd probably, I'd like to think it was a breeding issue as opposed to fitness.
0: Yeah, really well captured photo. Uh, I Matthew is one of my uh favoured photographers from from anywhere in the world. I think he captures the birds how they should be. Yes, um, yeah. and uh, he's definitely uh, managed that with that one. uh So this is a bird that I really like. So she's a little bit long in the back, mm. um, and she's got kind of an ugly face. <laughs> yeah um she is a bit lucky in beard it's kind of flat rather than that big tri-beard coming out but the ball on her is extraordinary and you go as far as saying slightly extreme no i love it i'm here for it i think it's great um and uh considering it is such a major characteristic of a belgian I think it is important that they have it. And um, I just like, and the color of her as well. So she's obviously a buff mottled. Um, The pearl white spots on every feather is, is, you know, something to behold. Um, Yeah. I I love it. Like I said, she's got her fault. She is a bit long in the back. Um, She's not, if you compared her with that black female, the black is that ideal type. Hmm. this female doesn't match up to to that type in the same way um but i think the color really assists her actually you know it's all well and good having a black but it's a bit boring sometimes with a belgian where there are the so, so many different colors to choose from um they they particularly have kind of tri colors and mottled uh so you've got your porcelains, your mill flares, your buff mottled your black mottled your lavender mottled uh and I think it show those colours probably show them off best actually um so yeah i i mean i really i like that bird. I would have that bird quite gladly, so I'm going to be slightly controversial
1: and disagree with you go on um, <laughs> for me she doesn't scream at me, okay. Um, if I was to choose, I would 100% choose the blackbird. Yeah. However, I am a man of colour and being a um, breeder of uh, Thuringians in uh, Shamar and uh, Gold Spangled, um, I appreciate the hard work that has gone into this bird in getting the markings almost perfection um and it's lovely to see that the spangling on this bird is rounded because quite often you find that the spangling tends to become arrow-headed which is something that in most breeds you don't really want you you want that lovely um rounded edge to your feather um hollow wise sort of in comparison to what i say would look in my um Shalmar thuringians uh the ground color is not quite rich enough for me i'd prefer an even coloring over her the whole of her body like she's got in her um her wing and for me her i think her ball is just a tad too extreme for me i know it's a major characteristic of the breed but i sort of feel like her feathers have taken on a loose texture as opposed to still looking tight and ruffled. So, yeah, I, I yeah, not, not a bird for
0: me, unfortunately. Nice. It's nice to disagree sometimes. Um, cool. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. Um, right. Okay. So this female, so uh, blue, self blue, uh, damber female Um i put this bird up i think at reading bantam show i think i judged the self colors and put this female up uh and we ended up putting her up as best of breed and i don't think she was best tree bantam but i think she should have been um <laughs> and the reason i say that is because uh so i took this photo i think it's uh, not a bad photo of uh of about a, a dambo female. It shows a silhouette that I think we should be looking for. Um, she's got that slightly tighter ball that you said about. So she's got the ball, but it's it's tighter in, in the way it, it curves round. The colour, I think, is great, you know, Andalusian style. Blue colouring is, as we expect from Belgians, unlike some other breeds like Pekins and, and things that aren't meant to have the lacing uh the belgians are meant to have lacing similar to an andalusian the tribeard so this is probably the first example where you really see that tribeard mm. you know, that beard is like literally just below the beak it's coming out in such a voluminous way lovely red comb you can just about see the red in, in the face still with a dark eye slate legs uh horn toenails um I would genuinely struggle to fault this bird. I I think it was pretty much as close to perfect as as you could get. Um, and I think she looked even better in real life. Uh, and Donna and David Platt, who who bred her, know how much I adored this bird, and they did a lot of winning. I think they did get they they were definitely best to breed down at Reddy. I think they were best to breed at the Scottish National as well. Um, Really good breeders of of Belgians that that did really well um, some years ago, and uh, yeah, I I just love her. You're going to now say you don't love her?
1: No, I I agree with you. I um I think this would have been before I started going to Reading because I do remember seeing it all over Facebook. This bird, mm. and I was thinking to myself, wow she is a stunning example of the breed um yeah as you say what is the default about this bird
0: nothing it's just, just the angle and everything and you can see she really had style as well yeah like, and it looks sometimes birds can look a little
1: bit forced in the photographs she looks as happy and as natural as you would want a bird in a photograph um yeah, there's there's not really much more to add
0: about her um, apart from, you know, congratulations to the reader. Like. Yeah, she's probably long dead now because it was some years ago. Yes. Um, um, hopefully, hopefully there's some uh, uh, some of her genetics still around. Um, I do think so. Um, and just, oh, I mean, right no, go on. <laughs>
1: Uh so blue was a, a color I focused on heavily in my my Japanese bantams and obviously we don't go for lacing in sure. the Japanese as, as obviously we do in the uh Danvers um it's still such a tricky color to get right you know you quite often you get a black feathering coming through or um even coloring um I mean always in blue you do tend to get a darker head that then lightens up through the body but
0: She's consistent through her color. Um, yeah, and also is... to be fair, from memory, her head probably isn't as dark as it comes across in that photo. Okay. Um, uh, her beard might have been a bit darker. Yeah. But other than that, I think she was pretty even. Yeah. Yeah. No. Lovely bird. Cool. Okay, so this is a lavender quail de Boits for female. So the rumpless version of a waterfowl. Um, really again stylish, talking about a bird that looks good in a photo. This pullet looks gorgeous. Um again, pale in the face, so lovely red comb. But if you look at the around the eye, pale. Um, uh, maybe I'm being a bit overcritical on it. Um, but she's got the tribeard. Yeah, it's so a really nice example of a tribe, actually, there. Yeah, she's really fine as a boyc's fortune should be as, as a watermelon is and um yeah i and color wise really nice so uh, a lavender quail so uh, we'll see a quail in a minute you have the blue version of blue quail you have the silver version of silver quail and you have the lavender version uh, which is this, uh, a lavender quail um it's interesting to note actually that um the quail is different in different countries so in the usa quails tend to be a bit redder in color than ours uh, that can be the case over in over on the continent as well in europe um, the lacing is slightly different um, so there are differences between what we would be looking for in the uk versus what you'd be looking for over in the states and again on on the continent um not so much with them the diluted variations like like we have with this lavender quail though um yeah she i think she's really nice don't know uh so we're in a water male. um they basically have a, a narrow rose comb, but it ends with three tips three leaders short even leaders instead of just the one um so it's something that as a judge you're always looking for to check that they've got the three points to their leader um because that's uh, again a characteristic of the breed yeah anything to add Uh,
1: uh well i think you you've touched bases on everything there um yeah she's a lovely uh fine bodied bird which Sometimes you don't always get in
0: them. I'm probably going to uh, offend a lot of people now. It is true. So basically what's happened is a lot of um, people have, over the years, and there's nothing wrong in this, but you just need to acknowledge it, have um, bred Danvers with watermelons because there weren't that many watermelons, So to have an outcross or whatever, to improve certain aspects of them, they've put Danvers in. Um, but then not really managed to get back to that finer looking bird that uh, yep. watermelons or boysfoot should be, um, and it's certainly a criticism. and And that's why I really pointed out and started with that silver quail female mm. at the beginning because she shows that narrower, slender, oh, yes. yeah, bird. yeah, cool. Um, right, okay, this is a, a normal quail female. Again, I'm the tribeard on this. Um, tremendous yeah it's uh fantastic lovely face comb beautiful color um mm. really good lacing this is similar to the one that uh, you judged down at um down in Cornwall um, yes. that yeah, one yeah. probably wasn't quite as good in terms of markings in the wing as this female no, and she—I uh, think the one I judged lacked a bit of beard as well. She wasn't quite. She did, yeah, oh. didn't quite have the beard of this one, but she did have this type—that like kind yeah. of very short, very stylish beard. Yeah, this uh, she's holding her wing a little bit higher than you might want. Yeah, um, and the color just along the coming down from the chest. Um, you don't really want that. You want that to be clean, yeah. um, but it's a really difficult balance to get between having the lovely lacing over the all the way through the wing and over the back, um, and really uh, good colour in the hackle um, and clean beards. Um, again, when I started with Belgians years ago, you used to get some with some black in the beard. Well, you don't, you just don't really see that anymore um, because breeders have kind of worked so hard to to get rid of that fault um yeah so she's a nice one that was one of lorna's some years ago i think did you invest a breed at the national with that female i think maybe so um yeah good good female
1: yeah she's lovely
0: yeah again in great condition as well she's like shining glowing I think from memory i went to so they didn't manage to get a good photo of her at the show I when mean, I was living in Sussex at the time, and uh, Lorna's a, a good friend of mine. And um, she said, oh, would you come to mine and set up your, all your photo stuff and try and get a photo of her? So we did. We literally went, like, in a shed. Oh, lovely. Yeah, set everything up and managed to get this photo of her after spending quite a lot of time uh, getting her to stand properly. Danvers sometimes are really bad for standing well for a face day. They're such an active bird, aren't they? So um, either they're they're either too active and running around, or they just flop. Yeah, and they won't stand up properly. Yeah. She's um, talking about fitness on some of the
1: other birds previously. I mean, she's a lovely example to you know show the fitness in her how red you know her face is. because especially on these bearded breeds, I suppose you can almost disguise it slightly because they're so full in the beard. You don't see a lot of their face, uh, yeah. so you don't tend to notice it as much. Um But um, no, she's uh, yeah, lovely, lovely bird. She's a nice one.
0: Cool. So something we don't see a lot of uh, over here, which is a shame: a, a Mill Flare Danver female um mm-hmm. again really nice ball I think on this female there's a couple of things um her tail is a little bit too fanned mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. me um the color kind of fades as it goes to the end of the bird yeah the condition maybe not quite so good it looks like some of her feathers are kind of lifting you yeah. know when they've been in really dry conditions um and uh for me there's probably too much black uh, and it kind of yeah. overpowers. Yeah, she's quite heavy in her uh, markings, isn't she? Yeah, she's probably not as even as as no. you want. Um, but she's not a bad type. And like I say, you just don't see that many of of this colour, uh, particularly over in in the UK. Um, in the Danvers, you see them in the Jackals, but but not in the Danvers. You never see them in the um or Boydsfort. So. Yeah, I just thought I would uh, pop this one in there. But, you know, short back, good wing carriage. Um, Like I say, nice ball. Not too bad in the beard. It's difficult to see because the beard is so dark. Yeah. Yeah. But probably not too bad in in that department. But, uh, yeah, that's that one. Um, uh, So, uh, porcelain duckle. Um... Good example. So one of the issues you get with porcelains is because it's kind of a variation of lavender um, in the tail. They often get issues with the tail feathers um, kind of going wispy and uh, they don't have the strength um, of feather quality that the other colors would have. Um this smells pretty good for that. It's got a little bit of marking in some of the side hangers, but overall not, not bad at all. A nice even color. Looks like he could do with actually some uh, mottling, though, in his hackle. Yeah, it's... uh... Can't really see it. You can see the striping. Yeah. The white mottling might be the photo. Um, And again, beard-wise, just a little bit lacking, I think. But um, good footings. Nice type overall, kind of short, hobby. Uh, not too long in the leg, making him look tall. Um, So just to be clear, so with the uh, diakles and the everbergs, they have single combs. Uh, uh, So as any single comb should be, um, uh, leader following the line of the head, not fly away. Uh, In the Danvers, they have a rose comb, similar to a wind dot, really, where, you know, fill at the front, uh follow it again following the line of the head with the leader um and decent working across that comb particularly in the males and then as i said with the water males they have a a narrower rose comb but then with those three leaders um which should be even um uh, at the the tip of the comb just to make that point um okay so here we have a porcelain degree female um it's difficult to tell from the photo um how good the color is uh, because it just looks a little bit washed out it almost looks like it could be a lavender mottled um rather than a porcelain but um and the other fault with her is uh her beak is a little bit open and i'd suggest that she probably can't close it properly um, and that's a fault that you do get in certain breeds and that we need to keep an eye on. Not that fit in the face, a little bit flat in the beard, um, but lovely ball, lovely type. Um, and there's something about her. She's just got a really sweet face. Yeah, it's yeah, it's petite, isn't it? It's cute. And I think it's
1: probably quite short and rounded. She's almost got that what I would describe as sort of like a teddy bear look about her. Yeah, yeah. Um, got a lovely ball to her um yeah she's so compared going back to that um the buff model that we were talking about yeah head wise you know
0: not comparable contrast yeah complete contrast um yeah she's just got a very sweet as you say teddy bear look about her which is which is really nice i imagine she's quite a small little dinky bird as well yeah she's taking nothing away from her. Just a shame about the feather quality
1: in her wings though.
0: Yeah, I saw that down. Yeah. Down in the secondaries. And then I think this is our last one, which is, uh, I'm not sure I can zoom in on here, but um, uh, one I chucked in, which was a white um, Denver female that I showed many years ago now. Um, And to me again, Uh, Not a bird-eyed bred. I'm not really... I'm pretty sure I bought her from an auction. Um, And they looked... Honestly, when I bought them, they were yellow. I think they were all sneezing. Like, they looked awful. You would not have... Any normal person would not have gone anywhere near them. And I think I bought four hens for, like, a tenner. Um, Took them home. Quarantined them. um, And uh obviously spent some time on them and ended up with birds like this um i managed to breed a few from them actually but i think the most notable bird i bred from them was actually a cuckoo really nice cuckoo Mm -hmm. a male but um this female to me it's a shame i can't i don't think i can zoom in but um oh here we go let me just see the the quality of the image will probably go that's better there we go. The the tri-beard on her, you can just about see, really full beard, really good ball, short, cobby, broad, uh, amazingly clean and white. Um, A bit pale in the face, but uh, a decent comb. She had lovely orange eyes. A difference between the whites here and the whites um, on the continent is the whites in the UK have white legs and orange eyes. And white beaks on the continent. They have slate bills and dark eyes. So it's a contrast between the two different varieties. Um, uh, but this bird did really well. I, I think this was on the way home. This was in the ferry port um, when I dragged my mum with me to the Scottish National, and we'd like got back. I think for whatever reason we didn't take a car over, so we had to like lug the birds back on the ferry. Um, and this was uh at the ferry port on the island, waiting to be picked up, I guess by dad and um I was like, I want to get a fate of her, I want to get a fate of her and um yeah, and she'd got second it was a mixed class of black and white danvers up at Scottish national, and she got second out of twenty one oh. uh she got beaten by black, which is not unusual, um, but she obviously beat a lot of blacks um to To get that second prize, Um, I think she was best of colour at every show. uh, I took her to so national federation, uh, Scottish national. She was best white, Belgian, and um, yeah. I mean, I just um, if I could ever get bears like that again, I, I, you just don't see them like that. We saw a lovely white Danver, didn't we, down at the um, Cornish Federation but probably not quite to this level um and it's also the cobbiness of her like i said in the danvers you want them to be quite cobby chunky things compared to the finer watermelons. um and she just shows that really well i remember putting so much effort into making this bird look as white and lovely and to keep the condition on her that, that she has there um yeah. Oh, good times. That was some years ago. I'm trying to think how old I would have been then. Early teens, maybe. Oh well that was a while ago then. Yeah. <laughs> <for that>. Um <laughs>
1: without um knocking you down a peg or two too. This ready. is
0: when this is when Ollie is gonna absolutely tear this poor bird who is now up in the heavens of the poultry world uh, she's going to be looking down on you when you say this but go ahead no she's not that awful um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I, I actually think she's a very nice bird the only thing that and this just could purely be that just a bit of travel stress
0: um, I'd like her wing a bit lower yeah I think it's a photo bless her and she's literally on you know one of those plastic cat carriers you can see that she's well, I was going to say yeah. to the edge of it actually yeah that you know,
1: it's it, 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 could, it could be balance, she's just holding her wing a bit tight. Um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, you know, as you say, you you just don't often see that because it, it, it's a hard thing to do to get cobbiness into a bird, but also keeping them small, mm. yeah, so that they, that, you know, they're a true bantam, it's something that you quite often see. Um, in in the booteds for instance, you yeah. know, right? yeah. true bantam that also do need to have body to them, and they are they they are getting quite big. It's something that needs to be needs to be watched. Um, but yeah, um, it would it'd be lovely to see birds like that
0: on the show bench these days. Weird. So you, I remember the, there there are a couple of people who did have birds to this standard. So Sean Allen, who is a Welsh. Belgian breeder, very, very successful. Um, He had whites to the standard. Uh, Derek Elvey, um, a really good friend of mine who did uh, really supported me when I had Belgians at at the beginning when I was younger. Uh, He did very well with white Danvers at this kind of level. And uh, someone called Robin Murray up in Scotland, um, uh, when I had them, was visibly improving the bears that he had and, and had some some nice ones um but you just don't really see them anymore and, and you're lucky to have three in a class even at the big shows anymore which is such a shame um there's a story when i showed this bird at the federation once and i put so much effort into getting her ready um and it snowed and we ventured all the way up from the isle of wight up to stafford uh what a five probably a five-hour journey from one end to the other and um she was in absolute immaculate condition It was obviously freezing outside we got into the show hall and they had the heating on um and there was a fan above this bird um and there's me thinking you know she she looks so good i think she could even compete for for best belgian here today um I penned her in the evening. I uh, went back in the morning and there was a plume of feathers. Um, and I think the contrast of the cold outside and then being um, literally under a fan heater, um, had meant that she'd molted and she still got, still won her class and got best of color. Um, but obviously you couldn't award her bed like that, uh, any higher. Um, so a bit of run of bad luck with, with that one, but, uh, you live and learn. I think today, obviously, if you were in that scenario, you wouldn't pen her until the morning. No. You know, to try and prevent that. But it is what it is, right. Well, that's our Belgian gallery. Hopefully people enjoyed that. Um, if you've got a breed that you'd like us to to feature next time, then um, let us know. Now we've had some requests actually to do Dutch Bantams, um, which would be a, a nice one to do. Again, a breed with lots of, of different colours intricacies mm-hmm. to those colors um some colors white's actually white dutch um yeah, that that are doing quite well now and you can see why you know deservedly so um golds and and yellows tend to be the the colors that that kind of rule the roost with with dutch so perhaps that's a a breed we can feature in the future cool okay um like I say, hopefully if people enjoyed that. Please let us know. And as I said earlier, it's all going to be on, on our Facebook page. So if you want to see those birds as we're talking through them, um, then please take a look on there. Um, shall we head over to some questions? Yes, let's. Cool. Well, what have you got first?
1: So I have a question from Caroline regarding worming. Um so it's quite a good question and quite often the case it's very much I think how it works best for the individual there's lots of ways around doing um, worming I I believe that worming isn't just a case of uh, you know whatever you use be it a medicated wormer putting powder in the food and you know doing that for the next seven days and then forgetting about it until you then worm them again i do believe that worming chickens to some extent should be a little bit like you would worm livestock mm. uh, and certainly the way i do it if i'm worming my birds um every house that i've got birds in have got um obviously uh, a fenced off area particularly say breeding birds for instance um and their outside area is split into two sections so that I can rotate. Because at the end of the day, you can worm and worm and worm and worm and worm. And worm but if you haven't got rotation on your land, you're always going to have a worm oh, um, a worm burden. Um, you know. And if you've got a high concentration of animals on that land, you can worm. But if the birds are out and they're picking through um, the ground constantly that's heavily burdened by worm eggs you're never going to get on top of it um so that's always something i think to uh to think about land management basically you know try and make sure you've got clean tidy land for your birds to be on um and um you know this time of year it's tricky i know um <laughs> And obviously the events that have been happening for the last few years with bird flu having birds closed in, which probably has meant that birds are in very close proximity to each other in smaller spaces that they might normally be in. Um, certainly for me, I can't stand birds being on mud. Mm. Um, I want grass under their feet all year round. Um and something that I always try and do with my birds is um, I keep their grass cut all through the spring and summer because um, you want those UV ray- rays to get down into the roots of the grass to help kill off worm eggs. Um, it's just something else to consider with keeping on top of a worm bird if you've got one. Um but then, you know, when it comes to actually medicating the animals, there's lots of ways of doing it. You know, you can get medicated formulas, be it pre-mixed in your food or something that you've got to mix yourselves. I actually find, because you, you get a lot of people that are trying to mix a powdered wormer through their layers pellets and then wonder why at the end of the week they've got this big powder uh, build up in the bottom of their feeders. Poultry feed's dry. It's not going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. When I feed my birds every evening, they all get a little handful of mixed grain. I actually mix the worm through the uh, the mixed grain with a tiny, tiny little dab of um, sunflower oil or yeah. Sunflower yeah. Oil. just help it bind it. So at least you know, and because it's only in a small amount of food, you know that they're getting it. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I mean, worm is not cheap these days. Um, and particularly if you're a breeder that has got hundreds of birds there's no point in it lying in the bottom of your feeder cuz you're not treating the birds yeah yeah i actually uh personal choice but i actually tend to go down more of a uh, herbal route um i use a few different products um occasionally if i feel that there is a bit of a worm issue going on i will use a medicated formula Um, I also don't believe that it's healthy to constantly worm Mm. because you want resistance to worms and you're not going to get a resistance to worms if you're constantly worming. Um, The best way, you know, you can see if your birds have got worms in their droppings anyway and the birds tend to lose goodness. Yeah. Um, If you're really not sure, just send a fecal sample off a lot of veterinary practices will, you know, can do it for you. If not go online and there's all sorts of different companies that you can just send off a little uh, sample um, all done by the postal system. Um, And there's lots of other solutions that you can get, you know, in their drinkers, which obviously is a lot less labor intensive than having to mix it in the food every day, particularly if you've got a number of birds. Um, But I think, Uh, I'm probably rambling a little bit now, but I think with, um, (laughs) with a lot of animals, I do genuinely think, and this comes with a whole host of other things that come with animals, be it disease and illness, cleanliness is the main thing that you want to be on top of. If your birds aren't being kept in good conditions, then you can guarantee that they're going to end up with some form of ailment. Um... So I think if, you know, if your husbandry is at the best level you can possibly get it, you can guarantee that the animals are going to do well. Um, I think I've answered that fairly well.
0: Good. Who knew you knew so much about worms, Oli? What oh, you yeah. about you? Um, the only thing I was going to add is um, the way I used to combat it. So uh, the cool were always on pebbles, actually, so you can see in, in the background here uh um the the birds on pebbles they came out onto the lawn occasionally um you've obviously got more of a risk if they're free ranging and out on grass and stuff um so that's something to be aware of uh geese in particular you need to make sure that they are wormed uh properly because they there aren't many things that can affect waterfowl. they're pretty hardy but worms is is one of them and obviously because they're uh, uh they graze on grass, it's very easily picked up. Um and the other thing, uh, what I used to do um when I had my muscovies actually was I used to one spot them with ivermectin, mm. um, which we used to use for the pigeons actually and it it kind of answers another question we have in a minute um around lice. Um and I used to do that because it would both worm them but also it would keep any lice or anything like that off of them as well. And I used to do that just as they started a molt. Mm. One, so they didn't have any worms or anything, because obviously going through a molt is is quite a big deal for any bird. It, they put a lot of energy in into it. So you want them to be uh, at their best. You don't want them to be hindered by anything. But also so that the new feathers coming through um haven't been eaten or anything by lice so they're the best condition that they can be um so that's something to, to consider too uh like i said uh, we used to race pigeons and um we used to uh do that every year anyway um to make sure that they weren't lousy um but it is worth thinking about with with your poultry too particularly if you've got birds that condition is you know really you know if you've got dutch bantams or rose combs or something like that where a nick out of a tail feather ruins that bird and, you know, it's just not going to do very well. It's worth thinking about how how you deal with that. And like I said, it it brings onto a question that we had around lice, um, that I think that's probably my main bit of advice is um, just before those birds are uh, coming into molt, then one drop them with something like ivermectin and, and that will clear off any any lice and we have got powders that you can use and which pretty good got stuff that you can put in their bedding which is good but just be aware that it dries the feathers out so it's great for drying out bedding make sure the bedding stays really dry but it also dries out the feathers and what I find with um what I found in the past is that you end up with birds with kind of curled feathers and and frilly feathers because it dries them out too much um and that could be really difficult to rectify um and just keep an eye on your birds i mean I have to admit I never really had an issue with lice um but then I used to be looking at most birds very regularly um and so you' pick it up anything up super early um and also, I think because I used to one drop them with ivermectin um that would that would basically keep them clear for for that year um I always remember when I first started going to the national show, when before people boxed their birds at the end of the show, they would spray them with something just in case they'd picked anything up at the show. Um, That's not a bad idea. Obviously you don't want to be doing it really regularly. So if you're at a show every week, you do not want to be spraying your bird after every show. Um, But I suppose at a big show like the national where there's more of a chance potentially you've got a lot more beds there people coming from all different places a bit of a bigger chance of something like that being picked up then and it's worth doing you definitely don't want to take something like northern mite or something home for instance which can then cause you some issues anything to add on that one um yeah i mean life spies um
1: purchase get your birds off the ground you don't want them sleeping on the floor. Uh, if they're going to sleep on the floor, you can guarantee you're going to end up with um, uh, mites, uh, well, lice. Um, obviously, perches are dependent on what you've got. Um, you know, your big, large orps or brahmas aren't going to be wanting to be up on a perch six feet off the ground because the likelihood is you're going to cause damage to them. Um, but that's just something to consider um in something else um you're talking about spraying them with ivermectin there are a vast array of products on the market that are sold for other birds you know cage birds uh, larger uh, aviary birds like parrots and what have you um even products for livestock that you quite often hear people using on their birds harm mm. the animal But something to those that aren't used to doing this sort of thing or wouldn't think of using a other product that isn't licensed to poultry. Just do your research because, as I say, there are licenses for products to be used on animals. Um, And if if it's a product that isn't licensed to the animal that you're trying to use it on, The reason behind that is because there isn't any research on it or um, the side effects. Those side effects could be an array of different things. There could be withdrawal symptoms, which could be, uh, say, meat production. You wouldn't be able to eat that bird then, let's say, for the next 21 days or also egg production. Um, So if you've got a flock where you're predominantly producing eggs for uh, the food chain, you wouldn't want to use a product that's then going to cause withdrawal because you're then going to have to obviously dispose of those eggs for the next however many um, days. Um, There are also other products where there's been um, a little bit of research done on um, side effects that can potentially cause fertility issues. So again, if you've got an amazing um, breeding stud of a particular um, breed and you start using a product that isn't licensed to the animal and you wonder why all of a sudden fertility is such an issue that's something to think about um so basically you know just do your research before you buy a product
0: and wonder why your animals aren't doing as great as they were cool very good um so last thing that we're talking about so we've got about 15 minutes ollie and then we need to run and grab a train Uh, me and ollie are off to the natural history museum today which one of my favorite favorite places um to to visit up in london their display actually of um stuffed poultry related things is is not very adequate so maybe we should write them a letter and say (laughs) and we can find you better examples. I think the seabright in particular is, is not great. <laughs> and I think then, it's twice the size of what it should be. Yeah, uh, which is funny. But anyway, looking forward to the day out there. And then we're off to Slimbridge, um, to the wetland centre at Slimbridge tomorrow. We're going to go there today, but it's raining. Uh, so we swapped it around to get, to head there uh, tomorrow on Sunday, uh, where we're going to see flamingos and all sorts of different varieties of duck ollie's brought not one but two cameras with him um so that's super photograph yeah so that's gonna be really exciting but anyway so yeah so we've got about 15 minutes for this last item we had quite a few people um here in the uk over in the usa and in australia asking questions about um junior fancies young people in the hobby um you know our older fancy is holding on to beds, not letting young people have them because they want to hold on to their strain and uh, being um, a bit grinchy. Um, uh, what advice we can give to junior fanciers? Whether we think junior handler classes are a really good idea. They have them here in the UK. They have a different version in the States. Um, uh, it's different, again, over in Australia. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we both started off as young fanciers. Um, so hopefully something we've got some personal knowledge of and insight into. So, yeah, 15 minutes. So so let's uh, crack on to that one. So the first thing I wanted to say. So I, I remember uh, the first junior handler class I did I did over at Portsmouth Fancyers um, and on the same day I actually got show champion in the open class with a gold Dutch bantam female so I was delighted with that but before I knew I had done that I had a, an apricot cool duck entered that I would bred myself entered into the junior handler class And a lovely gentleman called Mike Hatcher, who will be known not only to people across the UK, but also to many fanciers, I expect, in the USA. He's visited many times. Um, And I expect some across uh, Australia and across the rest of the world, too. Uh, I'd not met Mike before. Um, but he was the most wonderful person to take you for a junior handler class because he's always been so enthusiastic about young people uh, and fresh blood coming into the poultry hobby because young people are the future of our hobby. And um, I had this apricot cool duck, and it wasn't about the quality of that duck. It was about my understanding of the good points, the bad points, how I might look to improve on that bird in the future. And so, and I won the junior handler class. And he said to me, the reason I won it was because there were better junior handler birds that were a better example of their breed. But the junior handler themselves didn't know as much about that breed. They didn't understand some of the positives and the negatives about it. Um, So actually, to me that's really important so one of the questions was you know in certain places there's a lot of emphasis on the bird rather than the knowledge of the junior handler and here in the uk you have juvenile classes where the birds are just put in they're judged and and that's it there's no interaction with the owner of that bird um and that's obviously judged on the quality of the bird solely as you would judge any other class of birds To me, a junior handler is very much looking at the knowledge that that young person has of the bird itself, uh, the breed in general, um, breeding habits, all of that kind of stuff. And certainly when I've judged them and I've had the pleasure of judging the junior handler class up at the National when you've got a lot of young people there, that's how I judge them. I judge it based on their knowledge. And I'd rather have someone with a bird that frankly isn't very good, but they're aware of it and they're talking about, you know, its faults and how they can try and improve on that bird in the future versus someone who's been put there by their mum or dad or granddad or, or grandma um, with a beautiful example of a bird that was probably bred by that other person, and um, but actually they don't know anything about it um because that person i think we said before that person probably is not gonna um Mm. last a course uh in in a hobby like this they're not going to be here for generations to come the person who had taken the time to learn about them it was genuinely their bird whether they bred it or bought it they knew everything there was to know about it and and that they want to breed better birds in the future that person is probably going to be there in the longer term and um i think it's incumbent on us as judges when we're judging those classes to recognize that and to encourage all of those young people um uh never talk down to them i always kind of get down to their level so i'm talking to them at their level um and i just let them talk you know i'm not speaking over them I want to hear what they have to say Um, I'm always trying to smile and and be friendly while I'm doing it so it's not a scary thing for them to be doing and I just say to them "Look, I've done this I've been there I've been in your position Um, it's a great place to be you're going to learn so much on this journey it's great how much you love your birds you're gonna get a lot of help along the way and then that kind of comes on to that next bit which is you will always have some breeders who for whatever reason aren't that bothered about encouraging other people to come in or the next generation they don't see that bigger picture of if I let these people have my birds then one it safeguards them if heaven forbid something happens to my birds then I've got someone else to go to Mm -hmm. secondly it's broadening the number of people that are keeping that breed which is good for the breed it's good for the breed club Um, it's good for the future of the breed particularly if it's younger people often even if they go out with the hobby because they've got work or family commitments or whatever they will end up coming back later and often they will come back to a breed that they kept at the beginning because it's kind of fond memories or, or just something they're familiar with so you will get people that aren't that helpful but they are in the vast minority of people most people um doesn't matter what breed you're keeping if you show genuine interest in the breed and you really want to do well with it and you're going to work hard with it and you're going to take the effort to learn from the person that you're getting those birds from it's not just you buy the birds from them and that's it if you show that level of interest and i think most people will be only too happy to get you started um and you don't always need to get uh a full trio or a full pair you could get a couple of pullets from them and a cockerel from somewhere else or whatever but just make sure you stay in contact with those people and work with them going forward um because i think overall we are a really friendly uh hobby I think everyone recognises how important in particular our young people are to the future of the hobby. And they will do whatever they can. And it's been a difficult time for our hobby. You know, people won't have been breeding as many birds over the past few years. So it potentially has been more difficult to to get birds if you've been looking to get birds over the past year or so probably has been more difficult to get things because breeders haven't been breeding large numbers as ollie alluded to at the beginning of of the podcast um but people will be breeding more now and my advice to people is go to the the top breeders but not only that um go to them like a year in advance because then they will be thinking of you when they're breeding their stock and you will probably actually get much better birds because other than the bears they keep for themselves which is perfectly fine and what most of us would do there will be other good birds that are too good to cull or too good just to sell at a market that they will want to be going to decent breeders and if you got in touch with them a year in advance you'll probably be top of that list for them. So um anyway sorry I've a bit of a rant there uh, up on my pedestal but it is something we both care a lot about and um there there was a lot of discussion on on social media and I'm sorry if you've had um uh, that happen to you where you've gone to someone and and they've been difficult but for instance I'm looking to get set up with a bird, uh, a breed later in the year I went to four different breeders um about that breed uh over christmas and said this time next year i'm going to be looking to get into the breed i'm going to throw myself into it um will you help me to get started every single one of them got back really quickly and said you know so pleased you're looking to get into it absolutely we'll sort you out with some stock please come round and see the setup we've got and and how we do it and learn a bit more uh, about the breed most people will uh, approach it in in that way, and and I think that's the message I want to want to get across. Um, over to you, Ollie. What are your thoughts? No, um, very much uh,
1: agree with. Um, excuse me. Um, what you um, what you, you were talking so long? you sent me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very much agree with what you've just said. Um, and uh, rightly or wrongly, those fanciers that necessarily aren't wanting to sell their birds to you at the end of the day you can't force fanciers to sell their birds to you and you know if if they're an elderly breeder that's concentrated on that breed for the last 30 40 you know maybe even 50 years to some extent they have every right to be um tight if you like with who they want to sell their birds to or or maybe the case not even sell birds um probably more the case because they're just so proud of the work that they've done they want to be recognized for it and not be selling their birds to someone that is potentially going to then show those birds and take the credit as those birds being theirs and not waiting to then breed their own and then show which is quite often the case you do always get a number of people that um like to buy to show rather than breed to show um which is definitely not something that i would um encourage to do because at the end of the day um you're not getting any self-satisfaction um on the other hand you know in my position, for instance, I would do and I, I have done as best as I can back in Jersey, whatever I can to help someone, even if they're not a youngster, but just someone new coming into the fancy. You know, I, I in the past, I've even actually helped source birds for them, or I've said, Oh, I've got birds coming over at such and such a time. If we could somehow find you a breeder of whatever breed, bring them over together. Um, And like Jed just said, I think a lot of the time, a lot of breeders, particularly those that are maybe well recognised within their breed, um, they've been in it for a long time and they don't want to just be, right, here's your birds and never to be seen again. I do think that they do want that connection and they want to know that they're passing their birds and their knowledge on and not just, here's two birds, that's £80, thank you very much. that's that um and i don't know if a lot of this now comes from the back in the day you would only learn from let's say your superiors because there wasn't the internet like there is now to all right i'm thinking about getting this breed i'm going to go and google it and find out pretty much everything i need to know about the breed and look at thousands of photographs which obviously helps you get an idea on what that breed wants to look like whereas you know years gone by that wasn't so easy to do mm. so Do sort of think now maybe the older generation of fanciers do feel that their knowledge isn't valued and maybe that's why they don't feel as so that
0: they want to encourage newcomers which is well, well and also i think that's a really good point because uh, we're here doing this podcast. Um, hopefully people are learning things from it. Uh, we can talk through breeds like we have with the Belgian and the, the Belgians today, and and we'll continue to do that. But our knowledge is is probably pretty broad. Yeah. If you go to a, a breeder who's bred that uh Uh, variety for you know decades they all know the ins and outs the intricacies not just of what the bird should look like but breeding habits uh, how you can make sure you're getting the best out of that uh, breed year in year out and um, I don't think anything can make up for just having a chat with a breeder at their setup Um, you know so stuff like this is you know podcast is great plants fowlers and magazine is is great as well chatting to people at poultry shows really helpful but I think if you want to learn the most go and speak to those who really do know a lot about the breed and, and they've got a, a great greater understanding and you will pick up a huge amount and also sometimes you won't be able to start with the best so just get yes. some, get some birds get started um, get to some shows, get to know people in in the breed club and in the breed, and them seeing you making an effort will then probably make them think, oh, I want to give that person a a, a bit of a help up, so let's chuck them a cockerel or, or something to help them on their way. Um, that's
1: a really good point, actually, because I quite often see, and again, going back to social media, people posting on Facebook that, oh, you know, I've had whatever breed and i've taken said breed to three shows and i never get placed or i never you know i'm going out of the breed or you know i've contacted xyz breeders and they're only providing me or wanting to give me these birds Mm. and then before you know it they've given up and moved on to a different breed um and like you say i think any newcomers they need to be prepared that you know you're not going to buy the best birds from the breeder because they're going to keep those best birds back for themselves unless um if for for whatever reason the breeder is coming out or is having a change then obviously you might like obviously mentioning earlier with um with Jamie yeah uh, in um and his Seabrights, you know that's a great opportunity to, for many people who have uh, bought his birds um you know I remember as a junior, I I didn't really know what I was doing in the show world. I was just buying this, that, and whatever I could get hold of because I was like, "Oh, that's a different chicken. Oh, that's a different color." Taking them to the show, never really understood what the show was about, what I needed to do. But as a youngster, I was sort of a bit like, "Oh, I haven't won anything. Next show. Oh, I haven't won anything." But I still enjoyed it. I continued. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, the lovely uh, Fred Simmons who came over to um, one of our shows, it was the first show that I had attended that he had um, come over to judge with a lot of uh, the the Taunton guys that used to come over with him. Um, And he actually spent a lengthy amount of time taking my birds out of the pens after judging and going through why that bird hadn't done anything, why that bird hadn't done anything. And it wasn't until that point I was like, ah, oh, right, okay. I understand now. Mm. Now I understand that. And back then I think I had like 20 different breeds of birds, you know, and hoarder. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you know, there are several breeders up and down the country that have got an assortment of all different breeds in large numbers that are very successful,
0: but they've also got the space, the time. On the whole, I think focusing is is a good thing. Right, Ollie, we need to wrap up because we need to run for a train. Um, uh, I hope that was a really useful discussion for for the different people that had asked about it. I dare say it's a topic that will come up again. Um, I really hope everyone enjoyed the podcast as well. Please do leave us a five-star review uh wherever you listen to your podcast please do follow us on facebook bird boys uh, podcast and on instagram as well um we're everywhere and uh yeah thanks so much for listening and um we will see you in a couple of weeks yeah,
1: and can I just add as well, please get your obviously we're now going to be doing our podcast every other week. Please get any questions that you have for us in doesn't matter if you send them to us today, we'll save them all for our next podcast. And if anyone has got any subjects or topics that you would love us to have a discussion about, please send those in. And any breeds or photographs that you would like us to um discuss or even critique. We'd love to have uh,
0: the opportunity to critique someone's bird. (laughs) Very brave.
1: Yes, very. very,
0: But um, please get them in. Cool. Perfect. Cool. Until the next time, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. See you later.